So when I was a child, I was a huge fan of the TV show Captain Planet. Of course you were, Tolly. That's adorable. Listen, I'm a millennial. There was one villain whose whole superpower was deforestation. This is the nerdiest show. 100%. And I remember being really excited because I knew how to fight deforestation, giving money to plant a tree in Israel. Ah, Dolly. There was this small blue box on our kitchen table with the logo of the JNF, the Jewish National Fund. The idea was that you would put your money in the box and that the JNF would plant a tree in your name. When I think about my kitchen table growing up, I can picture the shape of the table, the window, salt and pepper shakers, and the blue box. And it seemed like everyone I knew was doing it. I know people who were gifted trees for their bat mitzvahs. It was this way to create a physical connection between U.S. Jews and Israel. Mm, Yeah, was trees. My grandparents were super involved in the Jewish National Fund. The hallway in their house had all of these like 19th century family portraits of like my great grandfather learning Torah and then so many tree certificates. Like the Jewish National Fund thanks you for planting 10,000 trees or whatever. Totally. And this kind of tree planting is definitely still happening. The Jewish National Fund claims it's a way to honor your heritage and reduce your carbon footprint. But Tali, now we know that these trees, they're not neutral bits of greenery. They're super political. And they're specifically planted on the sites of destroyed Palestinian villages to erase the evidence that there was ever anything there. Definitely. And they're a disaster in a lot of ways. I mean, they're very flammable. They catch on fire. And, you know, the pine forests, are only there in the first place because the founders of the state of Israel wanted to make the land look more like Europe. Of course. Nava, one thing that strikes me about the whole planting trees in Israel thing Mm -hmm. is that it's pretty much for tourists and people who don't live there. Yeah. Like, there was this scandal about 20 years ago when this Israeli newspaper discovered that workers were pulling up the trees between plantings so the next group of tourists could have a turn. That's wild. If people are pulling up the trees so that they can be replanted, then, like, it is impossible to ignore that it's simply the act of someone in Los Angeles sponsoring the tree that matters. The whole thing is about making Jews who don't live in Israel feel as if we're creating the state of Israel out of the soil with our own hands. Oh my God, yes. Zionism has some contradictory ideas about the Jewish relationship to the land. One is that Jewish people deserved the land because we would treat it better than Palestinians. We would plant trees and make the desert bloom. Yeah. Another thing you hear is that there was no one there. And there's a saying for that. A land without a people for a people without a land. Gross. Welcome to Diaspora Podcast. I'm Nava Echalom. I'm a poet and educator in Philadelphia. Hi, I'm Tali Ben-Daniel. I'm a political educator with Jewish Voice for Peace living in Oakland. Nava, in each episode of this podcast, we've been talking about how Zionism works, how Jews in the United States become attached, what that means for Jewishness, what the impact is on Palestinians. And we've really been wanting to get here to this episode where we can talk about land. Because understanding Zionism's approach to land, how Zionism shapes land and is shaped by land, 
is one of the clearest ways to really understand what Zionism is. And the first step on this journey is understanding a thing called Christian Zionism. Yeah, I am so excited to get into that whole mess. Yeah, it's a thing. And to understand it, I talked to an evangelical Lutheran pastor. Hi, uh, do you mind introducing yourself? Sure, my name is Robert Smith. I'm the director of Briarwood Leadership Center in Northern Texas. Uh, Before that, I was serving in Jerusalem with the University of Notre Dame as a professor of theology and global affairs. He literally wrote the book about Christian Zionism. Tell us more, Tali. So many people think of Zionism as only a Jewish political idea. Well, I asked Dr. Smith to say more about what Christian Zionism is. Uh, In the definition that I've come up with in my research, Christian Zionism is political action informed by specific Christian commitments to promote or preserve Jewish control over what we might call Palestine or the Holy Land or Israel and Palestine. What, what underlies the whole tradition is a Protestant and, and more broadly Western Christian dynamic of imagining the role of Jews for Christian apocalyptic hope. And so Jews become part of the pawns moved around in a, a Christian apocalyptic drama. Right. The end times. The Christian concept of apocalypse requires all the world's Jews to be gathered into the Holy Land and, you know, sent to hell, and then Jesus will return. So in case anyone was thinking about Christian Zionism as some kind of protection for Jewish people, Dr. Smith squashes that idea pretty quickly. Most of the Christians who were imagining these things had never really met Jews. They didn't know Jews and certainly weren't concerned for Jews as Jews, though they weren't looking out for Jewish communal well-being, for instance. So this is all about Christians imagining roles for Jews for Christian purposes, uh, which of course is fundamentally anti-Jewish, but these Christians didn't see themselves as such. By the way, I just want to say that there are plenty of Christians who don't believe in Christian Zionism. Many Palestinians are Christian. Yeah, so... We started out today talking about land. Why are we even bringing up Christian Zionism? Well, it's because of that phrase that you mentioned earlier, a land without a people for a people without land. You know, Nava, I have really been trying to remember where I first heard that phrase, and I actually can't. Because it seems like, for me at least, it was everywhere as a true statement about why Israel was founded. Me neither, Tali. It's just somewhere back in my child mind. I'd hear that phrase just in the air, mostly in Jewish spaces. But Nava, that phrase, it actually isn't a Jewish idea. It comes from Christian Zionism. Take it away, Dr. Smith. Well, it is associated by many people, uh, critics and proponents alike, with Jewish political Zionism. But in fact, the phrase first appears in Christian Zionist literature in the UK, uh, but but then in the United States. And so that Christian Zionist history is actually the real background of the phrase. And then it was later adopted by Jewish political Zionism. I mean, I don't know about you, but I did not know that Christian Zionism was responsible for land without a people, for a people without a land. I think it's pretty mind-blowing. The idea has taken on so much importance in Jewish political Zionism, but Christian Zionism was already there. It's been there all along, saying that the land was empty and denying Palestinian existence. Tali, 
It's easy to think land without a people is literal, like it means just nobody's there, but I think it's even more gross than that. It's not literal. It means that there's no such thing as Palestinians, that Palestinians have no ties to the places where they live or lived. And so when this phrase, a land without people for a people without land, comes around, there's an assumption that, first of all, Palestinians are not a real people, uh, that they are not an identity or a cultural unit. And we still hear that currently, uh, whether or not Palestine is real or Palestinians are a real people. And this phrase cuts right to that question. It also indicates that the land is empty. So even if there are people there, they're not properly improving the land, they're not properly using the land according to Eurocentric definitions of what proper use is. And so since that's a reality, they don't deserve the land we do. I used to have political fights with my friends and family where they just totally deny that Palestinians are people. They'd say things like, Palestinians is just something they made up in 1948. Why don't they leave Israel alone and go to Lebanon or Saudi Arabia or wherever their people are? That's also part of a land without a people. So like, I'm I'm a little ashamed of this, but I actually really took the phrase literally. I was a child. I heard the phrase. I thought there was no one there. And once Jewish people showed up, these people who didn't live there started attacking them. So, of course, it didn't take much to learn that I was wrong. Once I learned about Palestinian history, I understood that Palestinian people, Muslims and Jews and Christians, had been living on the land and had had cities and towns and farms for thousands of years. Yeah, this is what Nadia was talking about in our last episode. Remember Nadia Tanous? She's an organizer with the Palestinian Youth Movement. Zionism, which is, you know, a, it's a political ideology that is now being expressed through a state that's built on top of us. In order for Zionism to maintain its legitimacy, Palestinians need to be either expunged or at least invisibilized from the realm of, I don't know, from existence, from the realm of reality, from Mm -hmm. any form of presentation. That erasure isn't just about the story of the land, but about the land itself. It's how something like planting trees becomes so political. It's how something that seems so innocent, maybe even good, becomes a way for both Christian Zionism and Jewish Zionism to erase Palestinian presence from the land. Yeah, it's kind of wild, Tali, how much these trees stand for here. The Jewish National Fund takes Palestinian land by planting pine trees. And now the Israeli army and settlers on the West Bank, they stop Palestinians from tending to their olive trees and from harvesting them. And when Palestinians do try to access their own trees, often Israeli settlers attack them. And the Israeli army uproots ancient olive trees to just literally try to sever Palestinian connection to the land. And they say a lot that it's so that they can take the land to build the wall that separates Palestinian towns from Israeli settlements. Yeah. This this impulse to erase Palestinian presence on the land, it's part of both Christian and Jewish Zionist movements. 
Because if you remember from episode two, Zionism started in the late 1800s. That was during the height of European nationalism and also colonialism. Dr. Smith explains. So this is uh, part of the zeitgeist uh, of the time that uh, Christian Zionism is tied to this confidence that we can basically do with whatever people and with whatever land we want as European Christians. And so the the popularization of this phrase and the birth of, of Jewish political Zionism in the same period all go together as part of a European colonial project. It's a scary idea. And it's really still all around us where Christian Zionists feel like they can just rearrange the land as they see fit. Like in 2018, when Trump moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, essentially recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. This is a big deal because both Palestinians and Israelis claim Jerusalem as their capital, and the city is holy for Christians and Muslims and Jews. So the U.S. was taking Israel's side in a major way when it moved the embassy. But that move wasn't for Jewish people. Although it did get him some Jewish fans, unfortunately. Yeah, but it was by and for Christian Zionists. People in the Trump administration like Mike Pence, who see it as one more step closer to the end times. The largest pro-Israel lobbying organization in the United States, which claims 9 million members, is an organization called Christians United for Israel. They worked hard to move the embassy, and Mike Pence regularly speaks at their conferences, saying that his passion for Israel comes from his Christian faith. Dr. Smith explains how this works. You see many Christian Zionists using Jews as props um, in in their own end times anticipations, but uh, then making gestures toward the state of Israel, and sometimes certain Jews within the state of Israel, like Holocaust survivors, but not truly concerned for the well-being of Jews as Jews, uh, trying to live their Jewish lives uh, openly, proudly. So Christian evangelicals tour Israel all the time, and they love supporting the Israel lobby in the United States. Organizations like Christians United for Israel and APAC that want to strengthen the relationship between the U.S. and Israel. And when they're doing that, they are supporting Israel but they're not supporting Jews. This is where Christianity, white supremacy, and settler colonialism all meet up in Christian Zionism, where the idea of conquering land where indigenous people live is just fine. Absolutely. Land and settler colonialism are core parts of Christian Zionism because European colonists just feel entitled to remake the world. But land is a key concept in Jewish Zionism. In Jewish political Zionism, there's this story about the relationship between Jewish people and the land, that Jewish people were pioneers, that we rescued the land. It's a compelling story to many people. It's a settler colonial story. That too. I mean, it's a thing that settlers do everywhere. They see themselves as redeeming an unused land and also as being redeemed by it. One powerful Zionist story about land was that if Jews built a state in Palestine, we could escape our weak, old, victimized roles. Planting and defending the land would turn us into something better. So, like, there was this image of Jews in Europe, right, as weak and mousy. The, like, pale, stooped, sensitive yeshiva boy who only cares about books. 
and therefore he let himself be victimized by his hale, strong, anti-Semitic neighbors. Mm. But working the land, owning the land, defending the land, having a physical space, that could make Jews strong, make us powerful. We'd become soldiers, productive and muscled and tanned and tough. These ideas are totally Eurocentric, they're totally anti-Semitic, and they're totally sexist. So sexist. You know what? You still see this all the time in fashion magazines and in Israeli PR. Hot soldiers with their big guns, men and women, showing you that Israel has like sexy, deadly Jews, not those brainy European wimps. They've been reshaped by the land and sun of Palestine, and that's how we get some respect around here. Yeah. And on top of really erasing Palestinians, it also just feels like such a classic way to blame the victim when it comes to anti-Semitism. Wait, wait, yeah, say more. What do you mean? Well, back in Europe, Jews are being persecuted. Remember in episode two when we talked about European nationalism and how Europeans saw Jews as something to be eliminated? This whole idea that Jews should find a new land and transform ourselves implies that the people who are violent against Jews weren't the problem. It's actually our fault for being so weak. So we have to be strong and muscular and show that we made the land better somehow and have these guns and walls and shoot first and ask questions later. Oof, yeah. Plus, it's a weird fantasy where all Jews are European, which erases Jews from Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan and Morocco and Ethiopia and China and a million other places. So this land narrative is so powerful. And it takes a lot to resist it. When I was like 22... I used to show up um, to protest at the Israeli embassy with my cousin Alyssa, and we'd sing this cheer that was written by Jews Against the Occupation in New York. It has to do with land and all the myths about land that you and I grew up with. I got us doing it on tape. Do you want to hear? Duh. Okay. A land without a people for a people without land came the cry of the Zionist demand. Palestinians do exist, and colonialism they will resist. We're gonna shake off, shake off the racist occupation. All people deserve self-determination. Gonna shake off, shake off military rule. Kick the army out of our homes and our schools. Thank you for listening to Diaspora. In the next episode... We're going to talk about how the two of us came to think about the land of Palestine in a new way. Great. How we began to question and criticize and reject Zionism. And how we really started to take diaspora seriously. And we want to hear what you think. What does the word diaspora mean to you? Do you think of yourself as living in diaspora? Record your answer. You can use the voice memos right on your phone and email your recording to podcast at jvp.org. And we might include it in a future episode. Diaspora Podcast is produced by Tali Ben-Daniel. It's written and hosted by me, Nava Et Shalom, and Tali Ben-Daniel, and edited by Jenny Asarno. Our theme music is the song For Our Stories by Decibelists, off their self-titled debut album. If you like this podcast, please spread the word and rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Diaspora Podcast or email us at podcast at jvp.org. We'd like to thank Dr. Robert O. Smith for his insights on Christian Zionism. You can get his book, More Desired Than Our Own Salvation, The Roots of Christian Zionism, wherever books are sold. I'm coming back for my people, for our stories. I'm coming back.
I'm coming back for my people, for our stories. We're gonna shake off, shake off the racist occupation. All people deserve self-determination. Gonna shake off, shake off a military rule. Kick the army out of our homes and our schools.